Welcome to the Astronaut Philosophy Podcast. Today I've got a special guest, um, KG, we shall call him, is with us today. And uh, we have a special history, a little For bit. Sure. We hadn't seen each other in about 10 years. About just about 10 years, yeah. And uh, we got a little special treat. We got a surprise chance to uh, hang out. And um, we're trying to make the most of it. So, KG and I went to uh, basic training together. And then we went to intelligence training together. And then we went to the same duty station in Georgia mm-hmm. after that. And then we went to Afghanistan yes. together. <laughs> yeah. And then we got out about the same time. So, we were pretty much paired together from the the very beginning which is you know you, you might have a, a person or two that you get to do that with but not a ton yeah and it, and the thing about that too the significance i want to say is that you know that's a very significant part of someone's life mm-hmm. you know taking the the steps to actually serve their country uh and, and this, especially in this country you know not too many people decide to willingly volunteer to take up to do that so then, then to be able to go through that whole experience with another person and then have that ability to relate to one another, I think that's a very, you know, deep bond of camaraderie. Yeah, man, yeah. for sure. I mean, that's that's why we're we're doing this. I mean, like, yeah. we can just slide right into it. Yeah. You know, why not? <laughs> um, so I, on this podcast, I spent a lot of time talking about myself, so we're going to talk about you a little bit to get us rolling. Okay. So, Mike, just tell us a little bit about... Um, just a little bit about who you are and like who you were coming into adolescence, coming out of that and into early adulthood, going into the army. Like who's the guy that I, that I met Mm -hmm. in basic. So the guy that you met in basic, uh, (laughs) I mean, to sum it up, he was, he was broken. And I think a lot of us at that time were broken. I don't think too many people, especially during a time of war, like I said, it's a very select few of people who do decide to volunteer. But then it's different, you know, thinking back, because uh, my father was also military. Oh, but I didn't he, know that. yeah, he, he was also military, but he came in uh, back in the 80s, you know, and this was before the, the Gulf War. So it's in that period, it's, and it's after Vietnam. So it's in that period of time where it's just, it's really, people went to, to the army just basically to kind of get away, to they do have something. a paycheck. Yeah. And- yeah, and it wasn't anything, uh, any sense of duty or purpose behind it, really. Uh, I'm not saying that we, we, you know, discredit those guys, but I'm saying they were, they were kind of in it at a different time. Still respect them, though, for, for serving the country, we, for you sure. You know, weirdly, I don't know if you remember that, like, when we were in, there was a lot of that, too. Folks that, you know, just because of, I mean, we won't have a commentary about, you know, s- social economic issues, but, like, you know, a lot of f- people there just to pay their student loans, mm-hmm. knowing very well... They're going to go to Iraq or Afghanistan, and True. then when they get their True. deployment orders, they're like, oh, mm, I'm, I Let me like get it. pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you can make it happen, you get pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but but getting back to, to what you were saying. Um, it's a tool. It's a different kind of tool for everybody. You're right, right, right. So, um, I guess it's a quick backstory um, for me. Uh, like I said, I grew up out in rural countryside of North Carolina outside of Fort Bragg. Like I said, father was military. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty big family as far as my mother's side of the family goes. Um, and they were all uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, which I think is going to tie into a topic that we're going to talk about later uh, yeah. in this podcast. But um, 
What so was that like? Like, what's just the Jehovah's Witness uh, experience growing up? Right. So, um, it's 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 mixed because you know you don't have a lot of how do I, how do I say this? You don't have the same commonalities as as a lot of people. So, in that sense, when people say you know, oh, it's a cult, I kind of understand why they see that because you only really interact with the people that you go to the same congregation with, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So you don't really interact with people from school. Um, You don't, you know, back in the nineties, you know, remember they used to have a stand and salute the flag and say the pledge of allegiance and all that stuff. That's something that we didn't do um, just because of religious things and stuff like that. We didn't celebrate holidays or anything like that, but it's awkward because my dad was not, a born and raised Jehovah's Witness. He got into that because basically he wanted to marry my mother and her mother. My mother and all of her family were Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, So it was kind of a thing where, you know, you have to be a baptized Jehovah's Witness to marry or date another Jehovah's Witness. So um, he decided to go that route. And then I came about afterwards. But it was kind of this uh, Romeo and Juliet type thing with my family growing up with those two because my, my father's side were all devout, Baptists, you know, fire and brimstone, speaking in tongues, you know, snake handling, all that stuff, you know. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) They were into all that. I always associated that with like Pentecostal church. But But this this is a branch of the Baptists that were just like, yeah. Where was he from again? Well, he's from North, well, uh, Fayetteville. Fayetteville. Okay. St. Mary. St. Mary, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's how they, his side of the family grew up. Um, and like I said, my mother's side of the family, they weren't really too religious up until uh, the point, I want to say in the 70s, right around when my grandfather passed. And right before he passed, his dying wish was that all of his uh, family would become Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a reason why all the family went that route. And it's weird because I don't think all of them, it's not something that's in them internally. They just do it because of that, you know, that reason and the fact that all of the other family members are that. So if they're not in mm-hmm. that same, then the excommunication identity. thing, like we spoke about earlier, that excommunication thing is yeah. is real. And that, there. well, that excommunication thing too is why I think it gets it gets a cult like reputation, even if it's yes. not. And I don't know enough about it, but when whenever groups get that stone cold excommunication policy, um, then it it's reminiscent of unhealthy group relationships mm-hmm. that's sort of like closed. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the, uh, what were the services like? Like what are services like? In a- so um, they have, they meet two times a week, uh, usually on a Tuesday or a Thursday. And then of course on a Sunday, um, their Sunday service is, is started out with a talk. Well, of course with a prayer, a prayer, a song, uh, and then a talk, um, and the talk, it, it varies as long as they are a, um, you know, an ordained minister, not an ordained minister. They call them, uh, elders, an ordained elder. I say they don't call them ministers. They call them elders. Somebody's just been in it for a long time. Right. And I mean, there's prerequisites, prerequisites you have to do in order to, you know, qualify for that role. Um, I guess, I guess their equivalents would be to like deacons kind of, cause there's no, yeah. there's no pastor really. There so, is no pastor. There's no pastor. It, so like who does the Sunday sermon? It, it varies. That's what I said. They're oh, kind of like, oh. deacon. so, okay. Okay. Yeah. So y- if you're in it, there's a good chance you might be giving a Sunday talk, you know, and they'll give you the, the, the materials to study and, you know, the, the verses and everything that they want you. So they kind of give you the outline and then you, you flesh it in. That's right? actually really interesting and kind of cool. 
Yeah. So it's not a thing where, like I said, there's no pastor that always gives the right. There's the, no authority. Wait. So who is the authority? Like because the the excommunication piece that requires authority there's and a also what's that? There's a council. There's, there's a, a council. The council, council of elders. And it's just, is there yeah. is there a is there a top of the pyramid of the council, or is it just everybody's equal? Yeah. So I mean, I guess if you want to dig far enough, the top of the pyramid would be. Uh, their Bethel location, which Bethel uh, was in New for York for the whole entire Jehovah's Witness group. Yeah, that's where they, you know, they print the watchtowers. Which the watchtower is the I'm sure you've seen that come door to door with the watchtower or Wake yep. magazine. Yep. Yeah, they do all the printing and everything up there in Bethel. So yeah. I guess that would be the 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 head of the. I guess that's like their corporate. But the offices. churches themselves don't have a no. The, no. It's just the council, mm-hmm. and then that's the. It's almost like. A, it sounds like from what little I know about like colonial Protestantism in like New England. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm pretty sure there was still a head, but like we talk about like democracy coming right. from you know those early right. Protestant groups. So that's inter- that's super interesting. Where does it, where does Jehovah's where does that come from? Where does this movement start? Do you got any idea? So it was started. Um, I want to say 19. 19- Early, I'm just going to say early 1900s, late 1880s, early 1900s, okay. somewhere in that time frame. Um, I think his name was Charles Russell Taze. He's the actual founder of the of the Jehovah's Witnesses movement. And then he's the one who started doing the watchtowers and everything. He actually started out as a reverend. So he did start out in the church. Then he kind of broke away from the church, and made his own thing, kind of. And uh, but it's weird because if you listen to how Jehovah's Witnesses talk, they look at characters in the bible and they associate those characters as also being jehovah's witnesses which is awkward in that yeah it's kind of awkward because it's like they can identify it backwards in time yeah so they're saying that basically because these in the scriptures they say that these group of people kept my name which is they jehovah obviously Mm -hmm. um which if you look at it's y-h-w-h which translates into Yahweh, which, mm-hmm. you know, Jehovah, there is no J, <laughs> you know, you know, how that whole thing goes. You know, so, um, yeah. So, uh, like I said, it goes back to, so what are the, what are the characteristics are they looking for, for people, p- the people of Jehovah other than that word? Um, so like I said, the people who obviously kept his name and then kept his commandments. So they're saying that those people back in that times kept his name and kept his commandments and up to this day these people are still keeping his name and keeping his commandments which is contrary to a lot of what the world does and that's why they say that we are a set apart people because we simply don't do whatever all the everything else the world does such as you know the holidays which are rooted in a lot of them are rooted in paganism and things mm-hmm. of that yeah nature. yeah sure yeah. uh yeah well, i mean man you could have such a cool conversation about christianity in general and paganism but mm-hmm. like um is it does it cover pretty much all the the main characters in the Bible? I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like yeah, like you know Peter Paul and the yeah. whole gang. Like yeah, so and, and that's one of the things a lot of people get misconstrued is they say that oh well simply because you know you don't believe in Jesus or you don't believe that Jesus is God because they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that those are all three separate entities. You know, there's the Father who is Jehovah who had his Son which is Jesus and he was able to do his uh, miracle works on earth through the Holy spirit, which Mm -hmm. is through Jehovah. So that's kind of how they view it. It, They don't think about it as all those three are one. I've interrupted the recording 
to insert audio from a conversation KG and I had three days after this. He opened up for the very first time about a mental breakdown, which he experienced shortly after we got back from Afghanistan. It was a year-long deployment, and it was a high-anxiety atmosphere. And in that same time period, he lost his mother, who he had been a caretaker for. There were also issues on the horizon with career, uh, cracks in his marriage. And last but not least, he started to look at spirituality and reality itself in a different way. I'll let him tell the rest of the story in his own words. Just you, you let me read your uh, your psyche valve mm-hmm. um, from that period. So the pol- we'll we'll just skip ahead for a second. And then I want you to tell us what happened. But you know the police were involved, and there was you were committed briefly, mm-hmm. and um, and in the eval it said that you were um, you were acting in a paranoid or suspicious manner, and that you were talking about God mm-hmm. and truth and disappointment mm-hmm. and on every page it talks about like those are the themes of your your concerns in this breakdown mm-hmm. um is there like can you remember a point where the w- things started to seem a little bit different like a little off other like outside of anxiety mm-hmm. like your perception starts to seem a little right so at that time um yeah because when you're when you're dealing with so many different uh, things th- things at one point, so many different pressure points. Yeah, you start looking for that external salvation or mm-hmm. entrance, however you want to view it, um, you know, the, the creator or the universe or God or whoever. Um, and that's what I was doing. I was looking for answers. I was looking for some type of salvation, some type of help. And so, yeah, I turned back to religion, except for, um, you know, we talked briefly before about my religious upbringing being a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, um, I had done a lot of, researching and digging on my own to come up with a bunch of uh, uh, ideologies and philosophies uh, that kind of contradicted what they preached. Do you feel like that, like the, the Jehovah's Witness outlet wasn't sufficient, and so you looked at some other ways out? Is that right. kind of what... Right, because I, I, at that point, I, I saw them as, you know, the doctrine that they, that they gave as being, you know, more or less in a, in a boxed-in manner. Um, and, and I had seen and experienced too many other things at that point outside of that box for it to, for that box to make sense anymore. If that makes any sense. Yeah. 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 You, you you had seen, you you knew that there had to be an expanded narrative to account for information that you, you know, and think ideas that you've been exposed to. Yeah. Correct. And so, um, yeah, I had started doing a bunch of digging, you know, I had read the Talmud, um, I had read the, uh, uh, the, the Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. I had read the, uh, you know, a bunch of different um, biblical texts as well. You know, the Apocrypha, Book of Enoch, things that you know were removed from the traditional um, uh, King James Standard Bible. And so at that point, so you had started digging into this before this episode. Before this episode, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. As well as you know, I, I I told you I had spoken with uh, a couple different mentors. They told me to study all doctrine, have no doctrine. So I was also looking into you know Buddhism. Um, you know, and what as well as Hinduism. And um, what I had found at that point is that there had to be there had to be more. And so um, in that search for more, 
it, it led me down a, a myriad of other rabbit holes that um, I won't even speak about here specifically. But it led to the culmination of, yeah, me being admitted, um, just completely broken mentally um, from the stress, from the anxiety, and from this exposure to information that, you know, um, really, quote unquote, opened my third eye. But whenever it did open, it was an influx of information all at one time. And then it was it was information overload and it was almost like I was blinded, you know. Mm -hmm. and I'm just walking around kind of in a in a, in a in a in a in a haze, blinded, but but trying to kind of feel my way out of the darkness, and that's kind of where I was with it. Well, I want to, I do want to go into expand on that idea of what you're, what you mean when you say your your third eye is open and that you're seeing reality in a different way, because that in itself is a kind of a metaphor, right? When mm -hmm. we talk about your third eye being open, you're mm -hmm. you're seeing maybe things that had been hidden from you, the nature of things that yeah. maybe had been hidden from you before. But before we go really deeply into that, could we just start with the experience itself? Just mm -hmm. like the experience of like, you know, you're doing something seemingly harmless, which you, you have a little smoke. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, and then is it, is it, had anything happened before that day, that initial day? Yeah. So, I mean, at that point it had been, um, it had been about two, about two days, about two days before the, the day that I actually got admitted for, for the last two days. Um, and it even says that in the report that for the, you know, the last two or three days I had been kind of just out of it, not even in tune with, with reality in, in any sort of sense. Um, like I said, I was, I mean, like just fatigued and like fatigued. Yeah. Fatigued. And then at the same time, fatigued but I could not sleep because every time I tried to go to sleep there's there's symbols in my mind would not turn off you know symbols in your mind symbols in but my this mind. is not when you're awake this is when you're trying to sleep when I, every time I try to go so I, I, I'm dealing with sleep deprivation so on what top it of tell, like give me an example of a symbol um Anything involving, you know, any type of uh, ancient organization such as like Templars or anything dealing with ancient Egyptology or anything dealing with Freemasonry or any of these, you know, things that you've been reading about, things that I've been reading and studying about at that time. Yeah. And so, so like pyramids and pyramids and triangles and, you know, things right. like that, uh, you know, symbols of uh, also, you know, uh, uh that time was also kind of studying the occult, you know, it said study all doctrine, have no doctrine. So, you know, things of uh, Satanism, you know, even, even digging into minorly digging into that. And um, just kind of, go ahead. Do you feel like the, the symbols that you're seeing are a direct mirror of just what you had studied? So it was just like, okay, I, just, I, I looked at this and I read this book all day and then I couldn't get it out of my head later. No, it wasn't that. It was a matter of I read the book, I saw the symbols, and from that point on, I could not watch anything, whether it be a movie. I could not watch TV, could not watch anything on YouTube, music videos, anything like that, because I would see the same symbols, and it would go back like a confirmation bias of, mm -hmm. okay, there is hidden meaning behind all of these things. Okay. And so at that point, it's it's a matter of I'm I'm law. I'm not in touch with reality because I'm so focused on trying to figure out what the subliminal is. Right. So you're point. so everything has a, a second a secondary meaning already. And yes. this has this is we haven't even reached the critical mass point. Right. So this is just happening during sleep. Like you're trying to sleep, 
and, and you're trying or trying to watch TV mm-hmm. and everything is kind of repres alluding alluding to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, I think we talked, you know, uh, offline before about that kind of stuff. And those are, you know, pre- precursors to, to schizophrenia. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that that maybe had a, a schizophrenic episode at that point. Um, because as you, you brought out, I was, you know, dabbling, you know, with marijuana smoke, something that I thought was, you know, harmless at the time. Um, even though the guy that I got the, 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 the smoke from, he was, you know, dealing not just in those things. So it could have been uh, a matter of the weed that I got was laced with something else that mm-hmm. brought out this and made it worse than what it, it should have been. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, at that point, it's just a matter of it was just uh, something else was driving Correct. And you were not in control of the, and and so if you're comfortable, can we talk a little bit about more when it's just all encompassing, mm-hmm. you know, is it, does it happen in just one afternoon all of a sudden, like you, you mentioned an episode with a shadow and maybe we can get to that later, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, how does it come on with that intensity? Right. Um, it's at that point, like I said, it's a, it's a matter of constantly, searching for the subliminal within reality and not even being in touch with reality. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on, I remember there was there was a definite, I felt a definite snap at one point okay. where I felt like my brain just snapped. It just broke. And, and I, I remember I stood up, I was laying in bed watching YouTube and I can't even remember what I was watching. It was some type of, I don't even know if it was Hebrew, Israel, or some guy giving some kind of talk. And whatever he said just triggered something in me. And I snapped. I turned it off. I stood up. And I remember just walking, pacing around my apartment, trying to piece together whatever it was this guy had said. And from that point on, nothing else was the same until I was, you know, out of the out of the uh, the clinic. Right. So. Um, so, so you it goes from that moment. It's focused on him, and then I guess it expands past mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. to what objects in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at that point, it's it's literally everything. Um, I'm looking at the walls. I'm looking at the paintings we have. I'm looking at the pictures. I'm looking at the books that I had already bought and looking through the symbols in the books. It it was just it was such a weird time, man. Um, so what are you doing as you're looking at? Are you talking? Are you talking out loud? Are you like what kind of things are you talking about as you're looking at? Is something does it excite you? Does it scare you? Like what kind of, a, you're, you're just, tr- are Emotions. you investigating? Um, it's, it's an, it's an anxious, it's an anxiety. It's a, it's an anxious, um, I wouldn't call it excitement. It's like an anxious fear kind of like paranoia. because yeah, paranoia fear, because at this point, um, I think I was so focused on the end, end times, Armageddon, end of times that I was completely overlooking present day you know Mm -hmm. so i'm uh, my head is so far into the future at this point that the things that i'm saying and talking about make no sense to anyone around me because i've and and here's the thing you take in so much information in such a short amount of time that you don't have the ability to properly regurgitate it back into a sense where people can make sense out of what it is that you're trying to say because it's like you you've seen too many connections to dots that people can't even see it's like a like a psychedelic trip almost yeah like it's very information rich Regardless yep. of whether or not it's connected to reality, yeah, it is just, but it's all coming upon you at once, at once. and you're stringing stray sentences together. Yes, yeah. So I'm I'm doing all of that, um, and yeah, we uh, 
there was an issue where I, I was outside walking. Like I said, I'm, I'm hallucinating. I'm seeing things that aren't there, all this. And so um, I'm outside walking. I had a little dog at the time, a little puppy. Took him outside, and as I'm walking him back in, there was a shadow on the ground made by a tree, a combination of this tree and, like, this truck that had a, um, a lift in the back. And the way the, the lift and the tree shadow met, it made a symbol. The shadow, the shadow made a symbol on the ground, and I remember stopping and kneeling down and looking at the shadow and just kind of like saying a quick prayer to my head while kneeling at the shadow and this guy saw me and that was the trigger for the the police coming out and and that whole that's how that whole situation got started Mm. um but it was because of someone just saw that and freaked out yeah somebody saw that and freaked out which i don't i don't blame them at all (laughs) i'd probably do the same thing but um like i'm saying that it was the the information information overload plus um the drugs, the, the the marijuana, plus you know the symbolism and all of that stuff, plus all the information. So it you just, you already kind of had a background of like things represent other things, correct? And then so when there's the schizophrenic uh, episode with yep. with marijuana, then it's like, which is a thing by the way for folks listening. Um, if you take a basic psychology course, I'll talk about. There's a small percentage of people where, for some reason, unknown weird reason, THC can do something and, and snap off a short schizophrenic episode. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it was just kind of like the perfect circle. Mm-hmm. And so the, you, some of these are really interesting though, uh, to me, like you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned a vision with pyramids mm-hmm. at one point. Mm-hmm. And, um, you mentioned when the police came to your door that like your, you saw your uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one of the police and that was that was actually a recurring thing that happened throughout this entire episode i kept seeing people that reminded me of family members mm-hmm. um so instance yeah uh um I'll, I'll skip over the pyramid thing and just talk about the family thing so yeah when the police came um one of the sheriffs that came he i mean was a spitting image of my uncle and so that was because i had the option i could stay or i could go you know to the clinic with them go with them or I could stay with my wife and try to, you know, whatever. And because that police officer reminded me so much of my uncle, I felt comfort that maybe this is the route I need to go. Again, I'm looking at symbols and everything, you know, one thing represents another. Mm-hmm. And so that was my rationale for going with the police and voluntarily being Baker acted admitted, you know, into the clinic. Um, and, and, and again, while I was in the clinic, there was another lady who was there with me who, I mean, was a spitting image of my dad. And, and that was, I mean, same skin complexion, same hair, same shape of the head. Everything was just like at, to a T. And um, she really took a liking to me. And she even threw a fit um, because they tried to separate her from me. And she, she threw a fit in there. She was so adamant about just staying, sticking to my side for whatever reason the entire time I was in there. Um, and people who do, if people who don't know, but when you're Baker acted, you're in there for at least a minimum of 72 hours. So that was the time that I was in there. So the entire time of those 72 hours I was in, there, I mean, from the, from the night that I got admitted until the time I was discharged, she was like steady by my side the entire time as mm-hmm. much as she could. Um, and there were a few other people in there too, who, you know, really took, 
who really gravitated, you know, towards me. And um, I found I found that very awkward as well because um, we're all complete strange. I don't know anybody in here. Right. Yeah. But these people are talking to me like I'm longtime family, friend, pals are saying, I've, I've seen you before. You remind me of, you know, my cousin or my, you know, half brother, step brother or whatever it is, you know. And I kept running into that as well. And probably everybody's having that experience of things representing other things. Right. Right. And, and right. so th- everybody feels that. Right. That, that is um, the uh, there's so many things to talk about with this. One maybe tell tell us one more thing. Uh, there was an experience you talked about when you had a white towel on your shoulder. Is right, you, right. So that was um, I want to say the second or third day in. Um, it was right after lunch. You know, we all went back to our separate little rooms or whatever, and I had uh, yeah, taken a shower. And after I took a shower, you know, they had these little you know. And they're not hospital gowns or anything like that, but they have these little get-ups for you to wear, like a, a top and a bottom. Um, they were, like, baby blue in color. Um, and so after I took the shower, something told me just take the towel and throw it over your shoulder, throw that white towel over your shoulder. For whatever reason, I don't know why. But when I did that, um, the minute I did that and I walked outside and looked up into the sun, I had some vision of, like, myself in a, in a prior life uh, as like a, a an ancient uh, Egyptian or an ancient you know Israelite or something like that from way back then, and it it, it really that it, I mean that it was very brief but it was very vivid like I was walking through um, the desert you know with this type of get up on um, and with like some type of head wrap on and everything and it was it was really weird, and w- another thing after that, after I did the thing with the towel another guy literally took that towel, a, a white towel, like the same one I had, and wrapped it around his head in the same type of fashion as what I had envisioned. And he was going around, like, telling people to be healed in the name of Christ and was, like, placing his hands on people's heads and stuff. It was really weird, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is some Twilight Zone shit, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, and it, I, I, I've never really sat down and explained to someone... Um, all of the things that happened because it was too numerous and I was in such a haze at that time. You know, they're giving me psychotropics and things mm-hmm. that need to calm me down, keep me, you know, um, sedated, sedated. Yeah. And, uh, that it was just, a, it was the whole thing was just a fuzz, but I do remember these specific key points of when I was in there. Yeah. There's, uh, one point we should make clear, you know, and we've talked about this already is that there's this, there's something inside of our minds of mm-hmm. our cognitive systems that allows us to uh, make meaning. That there's a there's a book that just came out. It's a three volume piece on the human imagination from I think it's Cambridge or Oxford, mm-hmm. and it puts back our ability to look at a symbolic reality uh, back to like seventy thousand BC. Mm-hmm. So that would be our ability, which is not uh, repeated in other species to look at, say, a notch on a bone mm-hmm. or a set of lines on a cave wall mm-hmm. and understand that this represents something else. Right. And that absolutely permeates our existence. Mm-hmm. Your very thoughts that you have are representational. Right. So that things represent other things mm-hmm. or are that, symbo- that there's a symbolic component of reality. Is, it's all the way down to the way you interact with nature. Mm-hmm. Your nervous system is causing 
or constructing nature in such a way to get you to behave. So mm-hmm. the, you will look at the girl with red cheeks and, you know, the waistline of a certain dimension, and you're going to be excited and want to pursue that. I mean, your reality has constructed a symbol mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. and or your, your, your nervous system has in this whole, you know, living room of, you know, couches and objects with boundaries. Mm-hmm. This is also a kind of construction because, yeah. you know, if we go far enough down in scale, then these boundaries disappear. And, right. and if a lot of biology is looking at that now, like we're sort of like patterns of energy. Mm-hmm. So I just want to have that quick ramble to establish that whatever allows us to look at things in this way, we don't understand. Right. But that that mechanism can go intensely haywire. Correct. But especially, I think, in the modern context, because well, there's two things. We just I just briefly alluded to nature, but there's the social symbolic piece, mm-hmm. which we're going to hit, and the religious piece. Right. So briefly, the religious piece would be like crucifixes and baptismal water right. and, and wine and Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are all representational things. And, and if you're going to heal someone, do some kind of energy healing, you're going you're gonna to do that with, you're going to envision light, mm-hmm. and you're going to envision colors and warmth and cold. Mm-hmm. People who practice these things, do, that's what they do. And, so, and these are symbolic, and these are to have a physical effect on you. So the symbolic reality mm-hmm. is supposed to, or you can pray for you know angels uh, to touch you, or the hand of God. This... Uh, <laughs> This symbolic reality participates with what we, the quote-unquote, physical. The, and then the last piece that we got to bring in is the social mm-hmm. uh, symbolism. And this one is probably a little bit more fun and a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And so we can maybe start, you know, wrapping a little bit on, on this. Uh, we talked about the Matrix before. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen the first Matrix, uh, in one of the opening scenes, Neo is told that uh, uh, follow the white rabbit, mm-hmm. right? And then he sees a white rabbit at the door. And this white rabbit is immediately symbolic to him. It represents, it's significant. He's been, he's been told this. It was a conversation just earlier, earlier today. Many people have this experiences like this every day. We call it synchronicity or, or whatever. What's interesting is right before he sees the white rabbit is he pulls a book off of his shelf to grab the, the stolen information or whatever the hacker stuff that he's passing off. The book is by a guy named uh, Baudrillard, and it's called, uh, I think it's called Simulacrum and Simulation. Hmm. And it's about the sort of social sim- symbolic reality that replaces reality mm-hmm. um, like social media, mm-hmm. like political speeches, mm-hmm. like corporate advertising, mm-hmm. like, and so the first time you were telling me about this experience, it sounded like that kind of stuff was just, it was, uh, you were very sensitive to it, like right. explosively sensitive to it. Right, right. And that's what I was. Uh, that's what I was definitely dealing with at that time. Is that, like I said, it was um, kind of me treading off the path that I knew. So the path that I knew was, like I said, that strict religious belief of Jehovah's Witness, et cetera, et cetera. And when I started to kind of go off that path a little bit, it led me to 
a ledge, you know, and so from when I was standing at that ledge, I could see that there's something at the bottom of this ledge and I don't know what it is. And so I'm scared to jump and find out what's at the bottom of this, the bottom of this ledge. And eventually, you know what, if, if you don't take the step to jump yourself and just a control jump with a parachute, mind you, <laughs> so you can mm -hmm. safely reach the bottom. If you don't do that, something's just going to come along and give you a little push, you know, just a little push off that ledge. And whenever you start the free fall, that's what I, that's what I was dealing with at that time. I think of it as like a free fall. And whenever I did finally reach the bottom, what I found was that, um, you know, a lot of things that I had been chasing were actually just in repetition of themselves. So in other words, it's like I'm kind of chasing my tail because the more you think you know, the more you find out you don't know. And so you're just kind of in this endless loop of trying to figure out. And that's why it says in the, uh, the psyche valve, one of the prominent things that stands out is that I've said I was looking for the truth you know? Um, and I left it at that, you know, and I'm, I'm talking in things very, very brief, um, and, the, and very incoherent to them, but it makes perfect sense to me because of where my head is at the time, you know, and, um, to anyone else looking on the outside, it was complete psychosis breakdown. This is all the audio we're going to include for this conversation. If you're still with me, thank you. And we'll continue the journey. Yeah. My anxiety was taking over. Remove the devil, let my faith go fill a slot like a tame indola. I finally made it to the field of my dreams, and I let ghosts play around in my head like I'm Ray Liotta. A Yankee owner, I got stripes in this game. High headed, but got ice in my veins. Arriving by plane, G4 to be exact. Rewards of beats and raps. Three hordes before Ford and three more being cracked. That was a life that I was leading back before I went to therapy and we unpacked. I wasn't really needing that. I was needing validation, which I agree is whack. Mad at my therapist, like. Bitch, I agree with that. Here's the kicker, though, my therapist is me. Complain about my problems, how American and me. There's a scarcity of free thinkers. It's all group thought. That's what they think. That's not what you thought. Before you saw the popular vote, you scared that the world will leave if you rockin' the boat. So you don't. All aboard, now you safe in here. But you don't even recognize your own face in here. Fuck it. Independent with a major budget. You ain't mad at me, you mad your lady love it. We should change the subject. I swayed the public like I'm rapping on the radio. Long hair looking like I'm supposed to be on Game of Thrones, HBO. But every time I talk, it makes the news like the Daily Show. I'm wavy, so of course you want to cruise. I call it Katie Holmes. All my dreams are coming true. That's something I innately know. Labels feeding all this old dice like paleo. Meanwhile, I'm feeding myself. I had a nightmare last night that I was sleeping myself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I keep my ego in check, just me and this instrumental pumping through this cassette deck. Money don't represent my rank. Your logic rose from Jack, but even the Titanic sank. I seen cast with egos bigger than cruise ships lose it. Gain power and abuse it. Same to take my kindness for weakness and confuse it. Same type, don't know I stay with a gat and know how to use it. Used to be addicted to likes, but the likes of people I ain't even like. Anxiety reading comments, they had me reading right. Trapped in a matrix, black Neo, back to the basics. Now everything I do is off the grid, they just can't trace it. Face it, I used to love rap, now all I love is my family, fuck the fake shit. Only engulfed in darkness can you see the light like common sense. But to my defense, that way you're thinking past tense. Life's a bitch and shit can get screwed like when you camping, that's fucking intense. On tour, the fans scream in the West like craven. You know I deal with shit that I make the average man's chest caving. On the scene daily, this just in, word to Haley. I write about the world around me like a journalist. It's funny how people that don't listen to me concerned with this is cause they have to be. These motherfuckers weak in the muscle atrophy. This life is like a simulation. 
isolation, man, it has to be. Walk through the world, the whole shit is just one giant catastrophe. Speak on mental health and people laugh at me. That's why I tapped out. Retire because I felt wrapped out. Feel like people more connected with shit that's not what rap's about. So I mapped out. Just me and my fam, I don't give a damn. Living day to day just like the normal man I am. Bringing it back to the reason I began it from the start. Spitting syllables at will at the open mic after dark. Hanging with cats that stay with the iron like they Tony Stark. We recognize when the phonies talk. Why? Real G's flying silence like gnats. G7 raps. Retired now I'm back. I relapse. We bringing that heat back like July. That real shit, no two-ply. Bitches, I've been plotting and planning. Fuck whatever they've been demanding. I grabbed a cannon and ran in the lyrical phantom. Jumping out the plane tandem. Flow so effortless, it seems like it happens at random. My grin expand bigger. I bruise banner on my hit you with the buckshot. Then the Chappelle slug. Hustle music like some of my brothers still hustle drugs. I'm the unsung. Did it for money, made the money. Now I do it for fun. Music will forever be a part of me. I do this from the heart, from the circumflex artery. My bank account is seven digits like I won the lottery. But that don't navigate the way I shape the game like pottery. So hold up, grab the gap, reload up, rap, happy my soldiers. Yeah, I'm older, but I'll be wise. I'm fucking around to open your eyes up. Now these haters claim I fell from grace a couple years back. Still at the top where I've been at. Eight miles from the surface of earth, feeling infinite. Don't gotta get into that. Who's the illness on the track? Rewind it now and listen back. Wanna know who the best is? I'll give you 44 guesses. It doesn't matter in it. It never did, it never does, it never will. That's why I retired, it's impossible to fulfill. Just a hamster wheel full of cast that never sits still. On the for real.